Whether you're taking a rip down the lease road in your jacked-up truck or flying first class to Houston, Texas, it's time to sit back and relax for another exciting episode of Oil & Gas Onshore. This episode is brought to you by Tendeka, a global specialist in advanced completions and production solutions for the oil and gas industry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Justin Gauthier. All right, getting this party started. So welcome to this week's episode. We're here in a conference room at the beautiful Villa Sport in the Woodlands with the 2007 Fiesta Bowl champion, Jared Zobransky, strategic sales executive at Distribution Now. I got to say, this dude, you know, pulled up VIP, got us in a conference room at Villa Sport. I've only heard stories of this place, but it's like you roll up and it's a mall and then you walk in and there's just like pretty much equipment for everybody. There's a water park. So if you're in the Woodlands, you need to come check this place out. It's, it's badass. But before getting started, I wanted to give the listeners a little bit, some insight on some stuff I found online just to set the stage and who we're talking about. So tell me if any of this is inaccurate or if this isn't you, but you're a former professional gridiron football quarterback who played in the NFL and the CFL. You were signed to the Houston Texans and the NFL as an undrafted free agent in 2007. You played two seasons for the Edmonton Eskimos in the CFL 2009 and 10. And one of the coolest highlights I actually found was you played college football at Boise State and was named Offensive Player of the Game in the 2007 Fiesta Bowl when you guys beat Oklahoma Sooners in overtime with a score of 43-42. to Does that all seem accurate? That's pretty accurate. Dude, that's insane. I, I was talking to a buddy yesterday. He's like, hey, you coming to the gym tomorrow? And I said, man, I actually got a podcast and training with a buddy of mine, Jared Zabransky, and he's like, the Fiesta Bowl uh, overtime, Jared Zabransky? I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, my God. He's like, that's crazy. So, yeah, you're a legend, man, which is, which is crazy. So I have a two-part question, you know, to just to kick things off, since we're, we're football right now, what do you think about the current state of the Texans and their quarterback, Deshaun Watson? Are you, I mean, are you coming up from, from that part of the world? Are you a Texans fan by now or what? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the Texans organization is a great organization, and, and tragically, they lost their owner, Bob McNair, this past year, which I don't know what the, the lead-up to his passing was, but I just— Bob McNair was a, a great owner and everybody within the organization, whether it was a, an undrafted free agent rookie quarterback to, you know, all the way to Andre Johnson or Mario Williams, he made you feel like you were a part of the organization, knew you by name, you know, the second that you walked on to the facility, made a point to come up and talk with you. And he's just a really great owner. And, you know, I've been around a couple of different organizations had the opportunity to try out for several teams at their facilities and speak with their management and meet their owners and stuff like that. And he was top notch for sure. But yeah, so just being connected to the Texans, it was, you know, something that ingrained being a Texan. You know, yeah. we had a, a saying at Boise State, and, and I think this is probably consistent across the board for whatever organization that you're with, but in Edmonton, that's the one that sticks out to me, you know, the most. It's once an ask, always an ask. Yeah, and we've, you've got to you've got to get into the club. You got to make the team, and then you've got to get into the club thereafter. And there's a an interesting little event that we have every year up there, you know, after camp is over. But it requires you drinking a lot of beer, and, <laughs> yeah. and then doing a sequence of of hand things on a table, standing up, sitting down. It's, it's there's a there's a sequence that you have to get right, and if you don't get right, get it right. You have to drink that beer that's in front of you. No way. So could you rattle that off right now if you had to? No. I no? Don't, I don't remember. Oh, it. I, I, it's like, so you start out, I mean, it's it's literally, you're sitting down, standing up, and it's and then 
you drink the beer and then yeah. you have to do it again. And they, you engage with the person across from you. They no ask you a way. question, you answer the question, and you go. And, and you're going through the sequence, and it adds every time. You have to go through it three times. Really? And you drink three beers while you're going through it. And if you don't get it right, you go back to the start of the sequence. So there's guys. So dudes are just dude, getting annihilated. Oh, if they there's get guys it. that were, like, throwing up. I mean, it got bad, bro. So what happens if you just you get, you get you drunk, you can't finish it? I mean, do you just get completely booed out of the room or what? You just don't make the club. You don't make the club. Yeah, and you, if you're not part of the club, you might as well just pack your bags because you're not part of the crew, huh? I don't know if they give you a secondary chance when you sober <laughs> up, but everybody that night made it. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, that's yeah, good. so yeah. it's not completely impossible. No. So playing in Edmonton, dude, that's crazy. I mean, obviously, I'm from Calgary, so I'm a huge CFL fan. I don't get to watch it as much as I used to. But did you ever meet Warren Moon or Gizmo Williams while you're in Edmonton? I did not. No, they were Neither probably those guys, before your but, time. But, but no, the, both both of their folklores just live on through the organization. Yeah. Saw a lot of saw a lot of old film of Warren Moon. Oh, really? He's a stud, man. I mean, oh, yeah. Hall of Famer in two leagues and, you know. If, if you're going to emulate anybody that went through the CFL that was, you know, at the quarterback position, you were trying to be, you know, what he or, or Doug Flutie or, or Jeff Garcia, which I often received a lot of comparisons to coming out of college was Jeff Garcia, but they had a ton of success up there. Yeah. And Warren Moon was a stud, man. Yeah. I mean, there's only a few CFL guys that kids like myself growing up in Canada, you get to look up to. And, and those were some of them. You had uh, Jimmy the Jet Cunningham too. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, of course, and then some, you get some of the guys. Were you, were you a Stampeder? I were was. you a Stamp fan? Yeah. yeah. So, well, I was born in Calgary, so I, I went to Stampeders, but then I grew up in BC, so then I came a BC Lions fan. Okay. And, you know, playing high school football. Like, I played football from the time I was knee-high, playing flag to when, you know, all through high school. And then I got, uh, I would try it out for the Okanagan Sun. Okay. And I made it, but then I decided to be a degenerate and go to the oil field. So, looking back, I know I wasn't good enough to make it, you know, beyond the Okanagan Sun, but... You know, in high school, we went to BC Place and played in the stadium. Yeah, great stadium. Oh, it's cool. For CFL, it's yeah. like, it's, it's, I compare it like a shitty version of the Mercedes Dome. Like, it's just, to me, I don't know why, but it reminds me. No, of it. it really does. Kind of, it's kind of the shape of the exterior, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, Van is a, is a dope city. Played a lot of sports there, basketball and football. But yeah, so BC Lions and then, I mean, so it's either Calgary or BC for myself. But anyway, so, Moving beyond that, if anyone out there is a big gamer, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but were you on the cover of the EA Sports at NCAA 2008? I was, yeah. So Dude, That's so cool, man. That was a really neat experience. So that game ends, the, the Fiesta Bowl ends, and the college all-star game that I went and played in was the Hula Bowl, and that was out in Hawaii. So I land in Hawaii, and we're kind of going through a few things, and he wasn't on my team. He was on... He was on the South team, so it was North versus South, and he was on the South. He was a defensive back from USC, and he comes up, and we're talking, and he's like, hey, Sandy Sandoval was the director of PR, and, and he was like the athlete liaison for EA Sports. And he said, hey, my friend Sandy, I don't know how he was talking to him, he said, and he said, you, he told me that it's between you and Jamarcus Russell. But you, you don't share this with anybody, he says. But it's between <laughs> you and Marcus Russell for the cover of EA Sports College Football. And I'm like, what? what? I'm like, no way. I get a call two days later, and it's Sammy Sandoval. Says, hey, we decided to go with you. And here's what the next few months are going to look like. So obviously the agent gets in touch with him. And the next seven, eight months was just a whirlwind, man. No was, way. So uh, it was like, crazy. Explain the experience. You get the call, you're pumped. And then do oh, they man, that, EA that Sports? Oh, man, that 10 days in 
Hawaii was phenomenal. Yeah. So one of the, he wasn't a partner, but he was like a friend of a gentleman that put on who had bought the hula bowl. The hula bowls went between different ownership groups for so long. And I don't even know if, if they've had it over the past few years, but Lex Luger. Yeah. You know, Flex Lex. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm playing golf with Lex Luger. No way. Eating sushi. Is, it was phenomenal. It was, it was a great, great 10 days in Hawaii. I'm Played dead. pretty well in the game. And then come back and we've got like a PR launch deal in Orlando at Disney Studio that during the draft in April, we had the launch of the video game EA Sports puts on every year for their cover athlete. They'd put on a party, yeah. a launch party, and it was at the Tao restaurant and nightclub in, in New York, yeah. in Upper Manhattan. And I've got my five best friends that I grew up with. They're there with me at the party. I'm looking over my shoulder and and Deion Sanders and Steve Young, Merrill Hodge, Jamarcus is there. I'd seen Jamarcus the whole time because he was with my agency. So the whole time prepping for the combine, but you got Adrian Peterson and oh, man, the list went on and on and on. That's and unreal. That's hard to like that's hard to wrap my head around all those awesome. all stars in the same room. It dude, was that's awesome. crazy. Wow. So how did it go? Like, was it a long process with regards to taking the pictures? Like, did they suit you up and they're like, do this, do that? Or like, how no. does that work? So EA was just starting to get into, you've seen like those suits that they put on that have like the little measuring. Oh yeah. Like, like the little, little balls or The something? little balls that measure all your movements that do all the biokinesiatics, like all of the movement specific stuff. Yeah. We never had to do that. They found a picture. They sent it to me and said, Hey, are you good with this one? Oh, okay. And then that was the first year that they did kind of like a, it was a, it was a real picture that they kind of animated. Ah, I see. Yeah. Cause I looked at pictures on it and I just like just searching through and kind of in awe. Cause I, I mean, I'd never seen that before with someone that I've actually met and to talk about it. So dude, that that's crazy. You've had a, you got a pretty serious track record, man. Is it true that you told ESPN in an interview that you could throw a potato a hundred yards and again, can you, I mean, is that, is that a legit stat? Here it goes. That, that story will never die. <laughs> it's on so, the internet, bro. So, so Jay, so it's, we're 11 and 0. My first year as a starter, as a sophomore, 2004, We've, it's our first undefeated regular season in our school's history. We'd had a great, great history. I mean, if you look back on the past 30 years, Boise State's the, the winningest program in college football. And if you look at the rise of Boise State, we were a junior college until the late 60s. Yeah. So we just had a phenomenal culture. But so I say that to say we're sitting on this mountaintop getting ready to play Louisville. We're ranked number I believe we were number 11. Louisville was number nine. Louisville had lost that season to the University of Miami in a late comeback by Miami. So they should have been undefeated and playing in the national championship. Theoretically, they could have. So we're playing a great Louisville team. Getting ready for the game. Kirk Herbstreet. We're sitting outside of the meeting rooms late, two days before the game. So the game was on New Year's Eve, and that was a crazy week and awesome New Year's Eve. But, <laughs> oh, dude. So bet. we lost it. We ended up losing them 44-40. to 40. I throw a last-second Hail Mary to try to win. Gets intercepted in the end zone. But Kirk and I are sitting outside, and this was one of the first lessons I learned on you're always being listened to or recorded. It's, nothing is technically off record right? right sure so unless you tell them hey this is off record and you use it you're going to be violating some you know some liable issues so yeah hey, we're sitting there and we're sitting like just casually talking like you and i when we just were outside at the basketball court and he's like hey man so what would you do like we're talking about my farming history with my family grew up on a little rural 
in a rural community on a, on a potato farm. Yeah. And there'd be like, you know, hours between trucks sometimes that, you know, we'd be transloading on from a piler, from a 10 wheeler onto an 18 wheeler and trucks would come in and unload onto the piler and then they would leave and go back out to the field. And I would grab like little baseball sized potatoes Yeah, and I would chuck it like and try to hit the cab. Okay. And our truck drivers would just be pissed. I bet. All pissed. <laughs> Hitting them ding, ding, ding. All the time. It's like when you're at a driving range and you try and hit the little cart. The that cart, exactly. <laughs> They're like, this little asshole kid. Yeah. So I'm throwing it and, and I would try to hit the front window. Yeah. Like as they're going and I, would, I scared a couple of them, almost broke a couple windows. So I assimilated it and I could throw those things. I assimilated to like a baseball, right? So about baseball size, maybe a little bit smaller. And in high school, we would do long toss and... I could stand at home plate and throw it over our left field fence, which was 328 feet. Golly, and dude. So I, I had a pretty strong arm. So I was just like, yeah, I could probably. He's like, how far could you throw one? I'm yeah. like, I don't know, maybe 100 yards. So then it came out to like, oh, he's throwing bakers. So, you know, like, <laughs> that's what I figured. Like a five pound potato. Like, <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 that's not it. But. Dude, I'm thinking like this potato flying to the air, perfect <laughs> yeah. spiral. It's just like, golly, yeah. he's got some serious genetic skills behind no. throwing, man. It's like, uh, <laughs> Like the Norwegians throwing, you know, <laughs> yeah, anvils and stuff. No, man, that's funny. So, with regards to Boise State, what is the background and, and how did it evolve into having these crazy colorful the turfs, man? Yeah. That's so cool. So, it was a marketing ploy back in the eighties, eighty four, I believe was was when it was installed, and it was to generate discussion and recognition and. And a tidbit on that, when they put that first turf in, it was that old AstroTurf that you fall on it. You know, you, you're going to be lucky if you don't peel off three layers of skin. <laughs> I played on shit like that. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. And the new turf so so much better. Right. But so they would put in this 100 yards of, in, you know, 100 yards or 120 yards by 53 and a half of blue. And there were no lines on it when they put it in. Yeah. So there's like this legend that, ducks and geese were like dive bombing thinking it was water and killing themselves <laughs> what so no one ever actually saw this happen but a couple times guys would come out of the locker room and there would be a bird dead and like a big feather puff around it no <laughs> don't way. know if it was staged or whatever but yeah yeah i mean it's believable <laughs> yeah for sure for sure so, so and it's the color changes there's always blue no it's always been blue it's always been yeah blue, right? yeah yep. okay and then I don't know if we're grandfathered in or not, but Eastern Washington has a fully red field. Right. And they're the only, and then there's, I believe, I might be lying here, but I, I believe there's another team, and I want to say it was Weber State for a while that did like green, purple, green, purple. Okay. Every so there's five, some people every five that, yards have kind of. Yeah, tried to try to copy the swag, but yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's it, the, you're, you guys are the originators, man. That's so it's cool. It's the blue. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's super neat. Does it, I mean, I wouldn't imagine it would, but does it throw you off at all when, you, when you're playing? I mean, oh, I guess. Two weeks, two weeks, it takes your eyes to get adjusted to it, and then you're good. Yeah. The TV, you can, like, if you have a really vivid screen, you got to tone down that. Because it's bright. Oh, it's, right? it's super bright. Like, I've never yeah. seen it uh, in real life, but on TV, if you got a good screen, it's like, poof. Like, yeah, it hits you. It just hits you hard, it right? It crushes you. And, yeah. and then for the longest, and we, we wear blue at home a lot. Yeah. So blue on blue. And I could see where that would get tough for opposing teams, yeah, opposing yeah. quarterbacks. <laughs> nice. So we've gotten the, you guys can't wear it. And there, there, was a, there was a while there where I think it was the Mountain West that said, hey, you, you know, you guys need to wear a, a different color or, or can't be fully blue. But they only wear blue at home 
maybe maybe once or twice a year fully blue and then they'll do like another color of orange or gray right so let's back up a little bit back to when you were a youth you kind of already touched on it you grew up in a sort of on a potato farm i would imagine a lot of your work ethic comes from growing up in that type of environment but uh, go kind of go through you know growing up as a child when you started playing and, and when you realized or when either your parents or coaches took you aside and they're like look man you like you got something special here and then you you just you know completely involved yourself with trying to make it to the next level so kind of explain that sort of that journey yeah so at six years old that was my first summer i remember where i was going to be working on the farm i remember my mom coming in and it was like five fifteen a.m and she's like hey it's time to go get up and it was like that every morning of every summer for the next 12 years so there wasn't a spring that you know my spring breaks were typically spent planting and I was riding the back of the planter while my dad was, you know, and this was my teenage years. My brothers did it before that. But so I was like four or five years in a row where my whole spring break was spent. I was making money and working, but yeah. I wasn't, you know, having a spring break like a lot of the other kids. And then for eight to 12 weeks every summer, it was harvesting and it became part of, you know, who we were. I mean, obviously that was my grandfather and my father's profession and, you know, he would be up at 4.30 every morning and he'd be out working. And having that example, you know, having that, you know, put in front of you from a, a work perspective and it becomes, it becomes expected of you to participate and help provide the food that gets onto the table for your family. So, you know, it's five, five to five every day, no breaks. You yeah. know, you, you didn't have a day off and it was weeks and weeks of that stuff, man. It just yeah. it sucked. Yeah, but while you're in it, you're like, man, this. But I look back on it, and I'm extremely grateful that I was forced to do that at an early age, and yeah. then I was privileged to have that experience. And that's really how I tell my parents and my mother and father, and you know, I thank them for that. I was pissed when I was going through it, of course, right? But you know, my children are seven and six right now, and they get to go back, and they spend two weeks a, a year in the summer with grandma and grandpa, nice. and we don't have the farm anymore, but we've got, they've got some, about an acre and a half of garden, Yeah. so they go out, and they pick stuff, pick berries, Good and for them. help grandma and grandpa, but you know, it's fun for them, but they also, it's also a little bit of work, and, and they get to see how, you know, middle America, you know, Aldine says the flyover states, but you know, that's, a big part of who we are as a culture and yeah pretty privileged to have that yeah so that that started back then from a work ethic perspective and then any, i lived out in the middle of nowhere bro so i didn't have it was it wasn't easy for me to walk across the street to a buddy's house right so you can find me like out on our carport or out by the shop shooting a basketball constantly where i was out in my front yard my siblings were way older than me i was the last of five like oh, eight man. years oh, so wow. i was kind of like an only yeah. So I'd be out running, throwing the football in the air. We had a big yard. Throw the football in the air, I'd catch it. And just, I visualized constantly. And I didn't know what I was doing then. Yeah. But I look back on it, visualization's a huge part of, I mean, you can create things in your life. I mean, you hear it all the time with people thinking, thinking, thinking something into fruition, right? I mean, yeah, it, yeah. It, just becomes, it just becomes who they are and what they are. And it wasn't a day that went by where I did, wasn't playing a sport. So I played three sports in high school. And you asked like when I or my coaches or my parents kind of knew fifth grade was the first year that we could play tackle football with helmets and, and pads. 
and I could throw the ball about 35 yards in fifth grade. Okay. And like, is that pretty, I mean, that seems pretty good. Pretty good for, for a fifth, fifth grader. grader. I'm thinking yeah. back, like I doubt I could have. Yeah. There's, there's not many that, I mean, if you see that and the kid's throwing a, you know, a good spiral at that age. You, you spot it out. Yeah. Right. You'd be like, wow, that's, that's something unique. Yeah. And my coaches were like, Hey, and there were just dads helping. Yeah. And they, I remember them pulling my mom aside being like, cause she was the one that would always take me to practice, always pick me up. Like, hey, your son, we've never seen this before. And I lived in a small town. There's probably, I don't know, there's 20,000 people there now. But they, they, I could see the look on their eyes when they were telling my mom this. I couldn't hear them. And then she told me what they were talking about. And then kind of all the way through, I was just always a little bit better than everybody to start. Mm-hmm. And then that gap grew. And when I was a junior in high school, my head coach for baseball, basketball, and football, three of them sat me down and said, hey, you know, what do you want to do? And they, they wanted to hear it from me. And they kind of knew. Of course. I said, hey, I, I want to be a professional athlete. I don't care what ball I'm playing with. I just want to do it. Yeah. And I was, I was all state in basketball and baseball and not football. Oh, And okay. they said, hey, the number game is that because there's so many people globally that play basketball, so many people globally that play, play baseball. Yeah. But football, you have a real opportunity. And at that time, I'd had a couple scholarship offers to play football. And I said, yeah, you know, that's – took their advice and so glad I did. No kidding. So you said you had some offers, Boise State being one of them, obviously. Boise State and the University of Idaho. And then I had kind of random, random people recruited me and offered me preferred walk-ons like Oregon, Oregon State, which wasn't so random as in state. Mm -hmm. Purdue, Northwestern offered me preferred walk-ons and then a bunch of Ivy League schools that asked me to retake my SATs. I was too stupid, but (laughs) I, I worked hard, so I had a good grade point average. But Dartmouth... Penn University, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, all of them talked with their coaches. But yeah, it was it was a really cool experience. You know, you're in high school and you're getting all these letters coming in and you know, thinking you're the man sort of a deal. Yeah. So it was a pretty cool thing. And and I look back on it, I wish I I could have my seventeen or sixteen year old self to to talk to and to kind of to guide and and but not everybody has that and right. you gotta you gotta learn by getting your feet burnt a little bit but i feel fortunate to have those experiences because i got a son who's a pretty good little athlete and he's starting to really like ball yeah and having those experiences you know this and being involved in things that your children will be involved in someday it's great to be able to counsel them and advise them and i, I look forward i'm doing it on a daily basis and smaller things trying right. to you know trying to create that character and still that character that's going to push them through those hard times. Yes. But when there gets to be the point to where they're asking those distinct questions and you're able to just sit with them, yeah. you know, and counsel them, man, I look forward to those. So, well, and I have two questions. The first one was you said, you know, if I had my 17 or 16 year old self to talk to or to kind of guide, what would you say specifically and then my second part is, what do you think of now? You're talking about building character and like work ethic with the way things have developed with regards to like, you know, everybody wins, treat everyone good. There's no losers. Everybody wins. I mean, how is that going to affect people down the line? I mean, that to me, it's crazy growing up. My parents were hard on me. You know, I had to embrace losing, yeah. you know, just as much as, you know, because you lose more than you win. But if you can get yourself back up and train harder or overcome the adversity, yeah. that's what makes who you are you know today and overcoming that kind of stuff so how how do you kind of work around that stuff right now i love those two questions because the so the first one you know i would have told my 16 and 17 year old self enjoy the process yeah and understand that the things that you're doing all the time 
will not only affect who you are, the perception and the perspective that the people around you that, that matter will have of you, the influence that will, that, that will have on them and enjoy the process and understand that you need to put your best foot forward every day. And that there's going to be tons of things that you're going to be presented with through the next several years of your life that are going to detract from what your ultimate goal is. Right. So wake up every day, know your why, know why you are working, you know, the, the direction that you're working. And if it's not helping you get to that place, you know, whatever it is, a choice, a, a circumstance, a group of people, if they're not helping you get to that place and they're detracting you from that, make the decision to stay away from that. Yeah. And there are too many times, especially in this day and age where, man, it could just be, it could just be, a, and it might not even be a person trying to hurt you or, or take you away or bring you down. But there's, there's so many vampires in this world, man, that yeah. just, you know, it, it, they just suck the time and, and the positivity and the resource out of you. And it's hard to see it. Right. It, it's almost like it sort of deters you internally. Like they might not be doing it yes. purposefully, but yep. it may change your perspective internally and make you kind of skew your judgment. So I can identify with what you're saying there. Agreed. 100%. And then on the back end, the second question, ask it again. So it was with you said you have a, ch- a kid, you know, now you've got your kids, yep. you know, back in the day, not everyone got trophies, not That's everyone, right. yep. you know, it, it, so basically yeah. what's your thoughts on everyone's a winner, you know, yeah, the participation, every, the participation yeah, awards. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's, that's real as it gets. And I mean, it's our culture now to where like, hell there's even, I was joking with a couple of buddies of mine, Jake and Colin, they've got a, their own podcast with OGGN, but about cry closets. There's colleges now that they have dedicated <laughs> and, cry closets. And, and puppy petting rooms. And okay, yeah, that's yes. the first one for me. Yes, so, puppy, they, they've got rooms with puppies in them that you can go in and release your emotions with these puppies. So it's almost like, yeah, where's the adversity? It's like people are scared oh, of adversity, man. which is, in my opinion, like one of the, it's like, if you don't face adversity naturally, like I'm almost, a, I'm pro manufacturing adversity so you can gain that thick skin and gain Bro. that courage and, and confidence. It's like, so you know, with your kids kind of getting to that age or getting into sports, are you seeing that on the sports level at your kid's age? Or I mean, how is that? 100% at the end of every year, everybody gets a trophy. So here's, here's a deal. And this is, this is so close to home for me. And it actually, I struggle. I'm, I'm a big time introspective person. Like I constantly, I beat the hell out of myself. I'm harder on myself than anybody else ever could be. Right. And it's something I'm trying to work on is, is, giving myself a little bit more breathing room, but with my kids, I don't know if I ever will be able to. And that's, you know, something that I'm continually learning about myself, but participation trophies are a joke. Right. So this is Rolling Stones did an article on James Harrison, who I had the opportunity to be around in Pittsburgh and James played defensive end. And is one of the scariest dudes that you'll ever meet. Like imagine a hundred alphas in a locker room. Yeah. And he's the alpha among all these alphas, and no one's ever going to test him, no matter what locker room. Dude, just looking at him on TV, I could see that. Bro, (laughs) his nickname's Silverback. Yeah. Yes. So, so, and I agree, he he is a little bit harsh on this still, but his son brings in a, a trophy, and it's a participation trophy. James breaks it over his knee and throws it and says, you'll never ever put one of those up in here again. And I don't know to the extent of what it was explained after that, but so my children have played soccer. This is their fourth year. Yeah. So every time they receive a, a trophy at the end of the year, 
I tell them how proud I am of them for their hard work. Right. Because they do, they both, they both are little hard workers and how much they've grown and the discussions that we have after every practice, but before every practice, before the year starts are their main, their, the two things that they can control Jay are their attitude mm-hmm. and their effort. Right. Everything else is out of their control, but what they can do is listen to their coaches, hear what their coaches are saying, be coachable. And, and I explained to them being coachable means you listen to the coach and you try your best to do what that coach is asking you to do. Of course, yeah. And then you work as hard as you can at all times. And you're positive because all of that, all of that is going to be infectious. Yeah. And then that generates a little leader and whether they like it or not, that sort of work ethic, you know, out there just running and, and going and not giving up everybody else is going to start to follow that, that example. Mm-hmm. And it's just so big. And when they get this trophy, that's what I tell them. I'm so proud of you, but guys, trophies are for champions. And I've been pretty fortunate and, and pretty blessed. I'm a, I'm a pretty lucky dude. Like I've worked my tail off, Jay, yep. but I'm pretty lucky. Sure. And I've been able to collect a little collection of trophies and they see those and like, daddy, what's that? What's that? And I explain it to them. I got this for the most valuable player in this game or my team, my team voted that I was the most valuable player of our team. And I'm extremely fortunate and honored to have this trophy, but daddy got this for being the best. And you know how you become the best is because, or how daddy became the best is because I made a commitment to my team and to myself that I was going to work as hard as I could. And in that one game, I played really well because I was prepared and I worked my tail off. And they see that, and I can see the wheels turning in their heads. Yeah. But never once am I going to be like, oh, way yeah. to go. Yeah, you know, that's, go. you that, participated. Because that doesn't prepare them for the real world. I was just going to say that. Yeah. It just doesn't. Reality doesn't give you pay. The People world don't give you paychecks just to participate. I mean, I guess some beats do. your ass. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. And they're not going to, they're not going to shake your hand and say, good job for trying. There's two types of people in this world, in my opinion the strong and the weak. Yeah. And you can like help this kid that's so moldable and looks at you every day. Like dad, did I do it? Or dad, what do I do next? You can, you can help build this character that even if they're have the inheritance or the genotype that doesn't push them to be that alpha, they can, they can be a strong person and understand that they don't need to go and get into a cry closet. Right. If you need, it's one thing to understand your emotions. Yeah. But you know, when you're around other people, that face is stoic. You know what you need to do. If you need to walk away because your emotions are getting the best of you, that's when you do it. Shit. You don't need a puppy to go putt or go pet, you know? Yeah. So, Hey, look, I align with you a hundred percent, man. And and I value that. I'm, you know, I I know I'm going to listen to this episode. I'll probably have to rewind it because there's some serious nuggets that we can take away from what you just said. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I mean, it takes people like yourself and and people like myself and even your kids that grow up can be leaders to show people that it's not necessary, you know, it's not necessary to have to develop these things to make everyone feel good because the reality is life just doesn't always make you feel good, right? Life's not fair. 
the strong will survive and the weak will get naturally selected to just be weaned out. And so it's, we're in an interesting time. And I mean, I know this is an oil and gas podcast, but ultimately I think, you know, there's good conversation being had. So I appreciate you you touching on that. Before we keep going more on the career side of things, are you still involved in football in any way? I am. I am. So, and and I always will be to some extent. So right now we're, we're sitting at Villa sport and I've partnered with them and generated the quarterback school that is going to be going on all summer at their Cypress and Woodlands locations Cool for information on that. So we're, we're doing a developmental program from the age of seven all the way to 18. So it's, it's seven to 11, 12 to 14 and 15 to 18. And it's, it's summer long school. So we're going to start, you know, with basic fundamentals, teaching, teaching posture and technique, and then develop that all the way through on, on what I'd be working with someone preparing for the combine or preparing for a, a professional season. Fantastic. You can get information on that at uh, villasport.com. We'll yeah. put the link in the show notes. Oh, that way, sweet. Yeah, no, sweet. We'll, we'll, I'll promote that, of course, man. So, uh, and, and you're involved with that directly? Yes, yeah, so or? I'll be coaching that deal. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, so a lot, of the, a lot of the stuff that we've touched on today is character building stuff. So first and foremost with these little guys and, and girls, you know, it's it's developing. So one of the greatest things that anyone's ever told me, it's so simple, but it's so deep. Chris Peterson, who was my mentor in football, and he's widely known as probably the top two or three college football coaches coaching right now. Really, to me, it's him and Nick Saban are the best. And yeah. I really feel that way. Urban Meyer has been thrown in there a lot, but yeah. I think Chris Peterson's amazing. And he was my mentor. And he said, it's very simple. You can be a quarterback or you can be the quarterback. Right. And there's a very, very big difference. Being a quarterback is just someone that's out there participating, or you can be the one that is taking the next step. And being being average to good is like, if I'm holding my hands up, it's like two or three inches. Being good to great is an arm length. Right. And, and, and in perspective, it takes so much to be great. And all these little things, starting with the character of the person that's leading your team. And, it, and that translates 2% of all college athletes play professional sports. There's 460-some thousand, 2,000 of those are going to play professional sports. Yeah. And of those, 2% actually play to the point to where they don't have to have another occupation. So you have to, character fundamentally is going to have to be established, high character yep. with these kids. So that's what I, I want to generate, little leaders. I want, I want to help you know, bring the best out of all of these, you know, little athletes. And then the quarterback stuff will start to fall into place. I mean, right. they're like, they're like little gumbies, man. You can mold them yeah. and get them at an early age is really important. So I'm, I work with my son all the time and he's, it's tough because you want to, you want them to have fun. Right. And the intimacy phase for, for youth is six to 12. So they've got to fall in love with it during that time. So there's this real yin and yang about how much do I push them and, and are we doing enough for them to have fun? So they fall in love with it themselves. And if they fall in love with it and become passionate on their own terms, man, the rest is history. Then they'll start asking, Dad, I want to do this. Dad, I want to do this. Can we go practice this? Yeah. And so that's a tough thing because I see a lot of my my son, a lot of me and my son. He's, yeah. he's a little talented little dude. Yeah. But he he wants to show me some Pokemon cards and go trade those. So, yeah. You know, so you got to find, you know, you got to find a means to foster all of that so yeah this is this is a really cool experience and then d1 sports training is is something i'm involved with too which we opened up our first store in boise it's our nice. first gym 
And we're excited about that, man. And, yeah. and that allows me to still stay in touch and, and be, it allows me the opportunity to give back to Valley, the Treasure Valley, and a community that mm. has given me so much. Good for you, man. So, Giving back is, a, is such a gratifying feeling. So it's cool to see you giving back, coaching young kids, taking what you know, and hopefully, you know, like you said, molding some kids. And even if you make a difference in one kid's life out of all these kids that you're in touch with, that's just like a blessing yeah, so absolutely by you doing that is fantastic i'm excited to see how you know your quarterback thing goes i've been following the d1 stuff i appreciate Instagram. that yeah Thank you guys you. are doing some serious work up there i've seen some you know some high level athletes rolling Blue through turf, bro. yeah that too yeah <laughs> man it's it's extremely exciting so before we keep going i just want to talk about reviews so let's take a quick break if you'd like to support the show please subscribe and do me a huge favor and just take a few minutes and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to any feedback is welcome and appreciated good or bad Hit me up on LinkedIn too if you want. Just let me know how things are going. If you have any ideas on, you know, either people you'd like me to interview, any topics you'd like me to cover with regards to oil and gas and whether it be sports, anything, you know, this is, that's kind of the unique thing about this platform is I touch on all aspects, you know, of oil and gas and any, you know, if someone's in oil and gas, sort of their extracurriculars, I think is important to highlight as well. So anyway, let's, let's kind of bring it back to your career. So you're in football. You obviously do extremely well. You're currently at distribution now. How did you go from you know, being a high-level professional athlete to get into oil and gas? Because that's pretty rare. So football, again, p- provided that platform for me. So when I got released from Edmonton, I was going into my third year up there. Mm-hmm. They were trying to trade me to Toronto and, and Montreal. So we had just gotten a new staff. They were trying to work out a trade. It didn't happen. They released me May 22nd. Camp started May 26th. Oh, wow. So I was, you know up Shit's Creek without a paddle, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Right. I could have continued to chase it, but I chose to hang up my cleats at that point. My daughter was coming about four months. So that was the fifth month, five months, actually. She was coming in October. Right. And it was time to, it was time to take the next step. And fortunately for me, I had a little bit of a platform and a little bit of a name here in the Houston area. And my children's family on their mother's side is all from Houston. So we moved back here which was kind of home base. You know, we traveled to North America a lot, but it was kind of home base. And I started Jared Zabransky athletic training and I had about a dozen clients. And one of my clients came to be a guy named Bobby Bryan. And Bobby was global vice president for rig solutions at the time for national oil Okay, Varco. And he had me come help him with his football team. And there were a bunch of nine and 10 year olds. Nice. And it was like the bad news bears of football teams, man. They couldn't take a snap. Oh, so no. I'm working with them for a couple of weeks and he's like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to present, you know, your company to, you know, your training programs and your company to the parents? And I was like, and I didn't want to at the time I was pretty busy kind of been talking, having sidebar conversations. And that was typically a, a better way to go about acquiring new clients. And, and I'd been talking to the parents, but he wanted me to do it in front of the crowds a couple of times. And I was like, I'm like, what is he getting at? Yeah. Well, he wanted to see what my presentation skills were like. Uh, and I he, see. he offered me a job at, NO, it up. at NOV. Yeah. And NOV is a great company, big time manufacturing, oil and gas world. And, and I didn't, and when he offered it to me, I said, Bobby, I couldn't even tell you what the weight of the oil is in my car, like let alone know anything about the drilling industry or the energy industry when it comes to hydrocarbons and oil and gas. Yeah. Completely lost. He said, no, man. He said, you're going to learn about it. It'll be easy. So he hires me 
uh, my first about four and a half, five months, I'm out at the rig up yard at Galena Park. They had three production rigs, NOV does, 1500, and then two rigs that are pretty similar. One came standard with a walking package. The other one was their highly mobile rig. One was called the Drake, one was called the Rapid, the other one's the Ideal. Okay. So I was up there for all three of their rig ups, all three rigs, but we were doing a ton of rig ups on the 1500 AC Ideal rig. And I just followed around some instrumentation specialists, some engineers, and kind of was in the back pocket of a guy named Johnny Reyes. He was a top drive specialist, but he was, you know, he's always on the controls. They have a Amphion control system, which is a great control system. And I was just picking his brain and I saw, you know, what, what, what it took to, to lay out the rig, what it took to rig up, you know, kind of the intricacies of each, each tool. And, and then I got in after that, I said, Bobby, I'm, it was like the summer hotter than hot man yeah i was like i'm ready to sell you know so i came into the office for a couple weeks and they they handed me a binder like this like this is our product offering which is like six inches if you're you know, yeah. not, not here but that's about it's pretty thick so it's the same size of the west coast offensive binder for the houston texans <laughs> so i just started started flipping through it and yeah. categorizing and memorizing what each tool was and based on my knowledge of of what i'd seen you know i i had some you know a more than a high level. It wasn't, you know, down to the minutia, but yeah. it, it, it wasn't 20,000 feet either. So I started to put it together and then I just hit the road, man. They, they were like, Hey, you're going to be the rental tool company salesman. So I'd go out to these rental tool companies like Quail and Night Oil Tools and Patterson Rental and knock on the door. And I had some successes. Cool. And next thing, you know, one thing leading to the next we find ourselves getting expatted to Calgary okay. because of my Canadian connections. Yeah. They're like, Hey, you're going to go to Calgary and manage Canada and Alaska for the rig group. And which is an awesome experience, but man, like football provided the platform to give me an opportunity to get in front of somebody. And that's, an, that's so huge in life. You're going to have these opportunities that present themselves and it's about being ready and it's about being open to enter something that you might not feel totally comfortable with right. taking a chance. Cause Nine times out of ten, you can learn it. Yeah, it's just it's about it goes back to that work ethic. It goes back to being a positive and big. Or I I never dealt with corporate world. I bet, but I had some. You know, football's a big, big business. Yep, and I learned so much being at NOV those first three years, and so much about corporate life that I or or a corporate existence, big business existence that I wish I'd have known when I was in football. Interesting, because. If I'd have known that how important those relationships were to make those wheels turn and to be the, you know, to eliminate the cogs that, that could be put in to stop your growth. If I'd have known that stuff in football, hmm. it would have made a huge difference. So do you think it would make sense on a high level to teach business acumen to high level athletes because of that? Absolutely. On so many levels, because for one thing, when you go through a, a college program and a lot of these high schoolers are there, it's similar to the college programs for them now too. Everything's so regimented. Your schedule is broken down into five and 10 minute increments your whole life. Jeez. So imagine that, take that to the perspective of people getting out of prison. Now I know this is an extreme analogy, but it's, it's the more you look at it and where you dive into it, it's fairly similar. Institutionalization is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And if you have your whole life mapped out for you, how much, how much thinking outside of the box and how much application to anything alternatively, to your schedule, do you actually do? Yeah. Because everything is planned for you. So you prepare for your plan that's presented to you. You don't create the plan. 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's there for you. So you get out and you're like, what am I going to do? Yeah. And then the identity of so many individuals in, in college athletics and pro sports, they identify as a football player or as a volleyball player. Yep. That's who they are. So then they don't, they don't even know who they are after that. Right. So fortunate for me, I, I had these experiences beforehand and it was easy for me to, and this was part of my upbringing. I've always been Jared Zbranski. I never, and I played a bunch of different sports. So I was never the football player. Right. I always felt like that is something about who makes me who I am, but I'm always me. Yeah. You weren't defined by no, football. But so you many people defined. are, yeah. so many people. And when they get out, they're like, what am I going to do? And it's hard for them to make a transition because they always go back to, they're not fulfilled because mm-hmm. they're not a football player anymore. And that's who I was. Right. So I would love to, to be able to talk with athletes. And I've talked with a few, you know, sidebar stuff, but to have something where you're providing these athletes and NFLPA does a little bit of this. They do some business acumen stuff, but man, it would save so much. You hear about a lot of a lot of people going down the depression route and dealing with anxieties and I bet. Man, just to if those learnings could be passed on, pay it forward if you have an opportunity, any listeners have anything in in, in a similar realm. The thing about oil and gas, especially with the group that's leaving, you know, there's so much knowledge. There's a huge knowledge gap, right? Oh yeah. And there was there's so it's forty and under. And 60 and over, right? Yeah. And the 60s and overs, are a lot of them were retired through the last downturn. And there was such a huge information gap that the older generation didn't want to let go of. And there was a lot of great ones that helped me with stuff that weren't afraid to share their experiences. But I would say this, if you've had experiences in your life, if you're a listener or if you've had experience, don't be afraid to pass those on. That doesn't, that doesn't delinquish anything that you've accomplished. Absolutely. And it only helps the next generation prepare for their lives. So, yep. you know, it's, we're all afforded unique opportunities. I'm extremely fortunate and I say it all, I'm blessed beyond anything that I've, I've ever, ever really been deserving of. Sure. No, by, by the big man. Yeah. And honestly, anytime I have an opportunity to help somebody just with sharing something, I, I, I do, I do. I hear you. No, your humbleness is highly respected, man. It's certainly, that'll go a long way. So kind of going back to, to your comment on, you know, guys going up, being high level athletes, kind of having everything on a silver platter, if you will. How did, how did you adjust from going? I mean, essentially, I'm sure you did your fair share of cold calling, going from a place where everyone knew who you were to knocking on a door and someone looking at you who maybe have not been a football fan to be like, who are you and why do you, why am I going to buy something from you? I mean, was it a hard adjustment kind of emotionally to like go from the man to kind of like new kid on the block? Sure. Sure. So it's, it's a similar assimilation to being like a big fish in a small pond in high school. And then you get to college and like, you're like a tadpole in a sea, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, these are, these dudes are full grown. And <laughs> yeah, but I was fortunate to have a couple mentors in the oil field too. And for any salesman, you know, this, you have to do one of two things when you, you enter into a call or into a situation. You have to establish credibility or relay expertise. And yep. it was important for me to know what we were selling and know the oil and gas business, know the drilling business enough to where I wasn't just some newbie that was knocking on a door or trying to hand out a flyer. Yeah. And I, it was important to me to, to provide value. Mm-hmm. And then, you know this, man, it, through downturns, it's it's about being reliable when you're doing business, being reliable, accountable, 
And then that reliability and that accountability through your transactions and your, and your history with your clients and your customers, that trust and that rapport gets built to where, hey, when things are tough, when that turn starts going downward, you know, that relationship is there and they know that they can trust on you to get something done. So yep. having all of that kind of, hey, shared with me and, and then that becoming a part of who I was, I think it's helped a lot. And that credibility and expertise is a big, big thing. Cool. I mean, it sounds like you've done very well. And I know you went from NOV and, and to now working at Distribution Now. So tell us a little bit about who Distribution Now is and, and sort of what challenges you face in the marketplace right now with regards to distribution. Yes. Yeah, a lot of people have entered the space over the past several years and, and National and Oil Well, they, were, they started as uh, distribution and supply houses back in the 1800s and then National Oil Well merged as everybody knows and then Varco merged in 2004 so and then about 350 other companies so that is, is the acquisition growth that NOV had over their existence has been huge not as much organic growth as it was done through acquisition and they, they've done a great job of bringing those companies in not everybody can grow that way and I, I think they're kind of the the gold standard for how to do that but saying that to say you know the history of D now was national and oil well, and it was an NOV distribution arm. And then they, we spun off in 2000 and late 13, early 14 was, was the spin. And we've been operating independently. That was the IPO. D now is the ticker. Uh, it's a very different space than manufacturing. Okay. You're kind of, you're kind of at the bottom of the totem pole, you know? <laughs> okay. So you have to be able to provide a value and D now does that by going the final mile, we, you know, on the energy side, we deliver to the rigs, which not all distributors have the capability of doing. Mm. We have moved ourselves into the 21st century with our platform, our e-commerce platform and our website. Cool. And it's very easy to use. It's similar to anything that we would use from a day-to-day perspective, getting onto a website to buy a product. Yeah. It's a very intuitive product that we have melded with ERP systems, SAP and Oracle. So all the purchasing programming is done uh, on the back end. So it makes, it makes the day-to-day business extremely streamlined, but the, the challenges are with the growth, especially in some of the regions like the Permian basin, for instance, the attrition level, the attrition rate and how much growth, just keeping up with the growth and the movement internally and externally, that's been the biggest challenges. I can imagine. And then you have customers that you've done business with for, you know, dozens of years, 15, 20 years with some customers, and they're going through the same growth cycle and the same attrition problems. So you're trying to manage those and and making sure business is still staying, that day-to-day business is still staying efficient. So those are the big challenges. But as far as, and then presenting kind of the new technologies to people, to customers, and where they're at in their lives and their careers. So you get some people that are early adopter types that are like, oh, yeah, man, this is great. And they see the value. Yeah. And you get other people that are like, they've been in their way for a while and they don't want to hear it. So yeah. Would you say the younger generation or the early they're adopters, the adopters, the ones that yeah. push an envelope and for trialing? Sure. And, yeah, for sure. Yeah. We see it in our space as well. They're, you know, the older generation, you know, they have so much experience and they're so, I guess, to some degree confident in their ability to do what they've done for the last, you know, 30 years in their field. It's a lot of times it's hard to change their minds. You know, it's uh, again, times are shifting and the younger generation is certainly willing to take more risk and especially related, you know, financial risk. It's like, 
the younger generation is like, it's not my money, let's do it. <laughs> so although they do have the best interest of their company in mind, they're good at, you know, taking risks and, and managing it and, and making it work. So there's a huge a huge opportunity for for us in oil and gas right now. I mean, you're sure I'm sure you're aware of it. Just sort of the big data, the analytics, sort of the AI stuff. Everyone's trying to get real time with regards to invoicing, and just it's, it's such a there's such a mountain of data that we have in our field. So yeah, a lot of neat stuff coming into it. And I would imagine, you know, I'm sure some of the stuff like you know Amazon and some of those big players in that space. You got because you guys essentially would you consider it kind of like is it a similar platform? that you guys have like an Amazon for oil and gas, like they go on, you can get different. precisely. Okay. Precisely, so yep. yeah, so that's huge. I'm sure you guys got a lot of exciting stuff coming down the road. I don't want to take up too much more of your time here. I know we're getting close, but I just want to talk briefly about our giveaway. So our sponsor giveaway, our sponsor is known by 10 deck. They're known for their innovation in advanced completions and production optimization. And speaking of innovation, how cool is this? They have a mini portable projector. It's a goodie mini LED projector, perfect for home theater, boardroom, office, and pocket video. Or if you want to throw up the old Boise State Fiesta Bowl, you can do that too and check it out at the office. For a chance to win, click the link in the show notes and we'll announce the lucky winners as they come in. My apologies to all the listeners out there. I've been falling behind on announcing the winners, but the most recent ones are Chip Wiley from Blueprint Geoscience. We got Chris Tonkin from Secure Energy. Gilke Boskurt from from Total and John Byers of CNJ Energy. So congrats to you folks out there for the winning. Some events coming up, OGGN live events. Join the Oil & Gas Global Network's monthly happy hours. Our next happy hours in Houston, that'll be April 30th at the Canon. We're also throwing a, a launch party for our newest podcast called The Permian Perspective. That's sponsored by Baker Hughes GE, and that's happening Tuesday, April 23rd from 6 to 9 at the Midland Beer Garden. So for anyone out there in Midland, if you want to hop on the OGGN train and and join our crew out there, it'll be a blast. If you can't make it, no worries. We're actually going to be live streaming the event straight to our Facebook, so be sure to check it out. We've got the SPE GCS upcoming golf tournament. That's April 8th. I actually think this is going to air either that week or the following week. So if anyone went to it, I hope it was a blast. We've got the machine learning oil and gas. That's April 17th and 18th here in Houston. We've got the API sporting clay shoot. That's May 4th. And everyone knows OTC is coming up May 6th to 9th. There's a lot of fun events happening during that time. That's here in Houston. I also want to make note the OKC F5, aka Fin, Feather, and Fur. It'll be, I think, their third year happening this year. So I wanted to help support my friend, Courtney Strang. She's on the board for that. So that's October 11th. That's going to be at Heritage Place, Oklahoma City. And if anyone out there in the Houston area is interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old-timer hockey. We do it every three weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. So hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. And shoot, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Oil & Gas Onshore. If you're looking for more info, hit up oilandgasonshore.com. And Jared, thanks again for joining me today. What's the best way for people to reach out to you to get to know more about you, your company, or your journey? I mean, I know if you type in your name on Google, a bunch of stuff comes up. But, I mean, you seem humble and willing to help people. So if, if people just want to reach out without bombarding you, what would be the best way? LinkedIn or Facebook or what? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. This has been fun. Good, good. And it's Instagram, Facebook, both. If you search Jared's branch, they both should pop up or LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I respond to all of them. Awesome. No, we certainly appreciate it. We'll put all the links in the show notes talking about the football training, distribution now, and a few others. So anyways, again, appreciate it. There's a bunch. This was a longer episode than normal, but there's some huge takeaways from that. Certainly appreciate your time. And that's a wrap. Always remember, 
When the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks for rapping, buddy. Tune in next week for another captivating episode of Tendeka's Oil & Gas Onshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasglobalnetwork.com. 